Welcome to our inaugural episode of Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. We're happy you joined us today. I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Jason Spessner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. Ooh, so that last little bit, Jason, Enrolled Agent. That's really important for today's episode because we are talking tax preparation. Yeah, it's time to pay up or get a refund, but it's also a great time to learn from your 2022 tax return so you can make a plan what you're do differently in 2023. And since we're talking about generations, tax season hits a little differently depending on which generation you're in. Oh, for sure. For sure. Tell me about it. Yeah. So actually, Jason, why don't you tell me about it since you are our director of tax planning and our resident tax preparer at Financial Planning Fort Collins. And specifically with that title, enrolled agent, what does that mean? I'm cool. No, uh, <laughs> no. So enrolled agent is, is <laughs> it's actually the um, only federally approved tax practitioner, right? The IRS gives out this sort of ability to practice before them on behalf of clients and that specific or behalf of taxpayers, I should say. Um, get, get the, get the words right. But yeah, it g- gives you the ability to represent a taxpayer before the IRS. And so what that simply means is, um, you know, this is a, right, this sort of system is self-reporting, right? You, you are following the law according to, uh, how it's, how it's written. You need to file your tax return. You need to, you know, report all your income, all your expenses. And sometimes you're going to get audited or sometimes they're going to call you on something and say like, Hey, like provide us some documentation about this. Uh, being an enrolled agent then allows me to, um, step in for that person, step in for that taxpayer and say, okay, well, you know, let, let me, uh, knowing the process, knowing how the IRS works, knowing how, you know, the sort of things they're asking for. Um, it allows me to step in for that person and just, you know, get a more effective resolution in, uh, in dealing with the IRS. When you say step in for that person, does that mean like you can correspond, like write a letter to the IRS on their behalf, like about what their tax situation is? Or do you, you know, go to tax court for them and literally represent them in front of the IRS? Well, so yeah, a little different. So, so tax court is, is the one place where I actually, an enrolled agent can't practice. Uh, there's a specific type of designation where non-attorneys can appear. Uh, and, and represent uh, clients and taxpayers in front of U.S. tax court. And that's actually something called a U.S. tax court practitioner. And they're some of the uh, most you know knowledgeable and kind of uh, uh, well-regarded uh, tax professionals out there. Um, enrolled agent is uh, able to handle um, all of the administrative proceedings, right, prior to court, you know, with the IRS. And, and yes, it's, it's effectively uh, – Full, you know, representation completely standing in for that taxpayer, able to negotiate settlements, able to negotiate specific sort of findings and outcomes, uh, in, in the case of an audit or a collection. Um, and the only thing an enrolled agent, uh, realistically can't do is just simply like, you know, accept a payment or negotiate a payment on behalf of a taxpayer as far as like the actual check getting cut and accepting that payment on their behalf, right? That's, that's obviously something that goes directly to and from the taxpayer, but everything else, right? Standing directly in for that person. That's absolutely right. And a enrolled agent can and does do that. So basically all the stuff that, you know, your average taxpayer probably wouldn't want to have to do on their own if they had an IRS agent reach out to them. 
Uh, all the headaches. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, the IRS hasn't been great about <laughs> mitigating that recently, although they do have some more funding for specifically, uh, administrative, um, you know, functionality in addition to enforcement, which, which surely will be coming at some point. But, um, yeah, they're, they're hopefully going to get, uh, they're sort of uh, on the right track with some of this additional funding coming their way. Okay. So, um, enough about you. What is new for the 2023 tax year? Oh gosh. What should people know? Well, there was a, a pretty big tax law change that, uh, took effect or basically went into law, was signed into law at the very end of 2022. Um, there is going to be a handful of things there from, you know, retirement count, uh, uh, circumstance, you know, whether it's required minimum distributions, whether it's, uh, uh, qualified charitable distributions, whether it's saving in a 401k, a lot of changes coming. Not all of them will affect the 2022 tax year. In fact, very few actually directly impact it. A little earlier in the year, um, another act was signed, the Inflation Reduction Act, which had some more direct impact on 2022 tax stuff. You know, one of the, one of the things that came up, a lot of the sort of energy efficient improvements and uh, clean vehicles um, there was a lot of changes made there. The ability, for example, to make energy efficient improvement to your home and not have it subject to this puny limit that existed years ago. Um, you know, so you're able to take a credit on an ongoing basis now for those sorts of improvements. The, the clean vehicle credit was revamped and, um, there's no longer the vehicle limit on that, but there is now, uh, income limits and there is, uh, uh, MSRP or manufacturer suggested retail price. Uh, uh, limits on the vehicles you're purchasing for that. There's also a used vehicle clean energy or clean vehicle credit now. Um, so just, yeah, a handful of things that, uh, as Congress has been writing these laws, they've been also doing, you know, uh, a little bit of, of sort of designing these, uh, changes to sort of favor this approach of really looking at, you know, for a married couple, especially like the ability to file as what's called married filing separately or married filing jointly, kind of giving this kind of go between. Um, so that's another thing that'll come up more and more this year is, uh, whether or not you should file jointly or separately from your spouse, for example. So some jargony stuff that's going to be coming into play in future years. Um, but lots of focus on clean energy. It sounds like for people who are going to be filing their 2022 taxes in the next month. Yeah. I think it's right. It's, um, it's, it's sort of a way to, it's a policy to obviously shape behavior essentially. And that's what our tax system generally does, right, is uh, create policy to shape behavior. Um, everything from credits for child and dependent care to credits for just having kids, all of these things have specific sort of you know, limits and, um, you know, sort of these uh, triggers, if you would, to, you know, if you have more than two children, for example, your your credit for child and dependent care expenses, the, the, you don't, you don't get anything more for that. Right. And so by tax policy, there's a, there's a strong hint there, uh, that, that two kids is good. Right. And so there's lots of examples of that, you know, clean, clean energy, or, or I'm sorry, clean vehicle credit, right. Encouraging you to go and buy a, a uh, an EV or a plug-in EV or plug-in hybrid, I should say. Um, again, just again, policy, uh, po- sort of policy mandates, so to speak, uh, in the tax code. Yeah. So future taxpayers, and then also, uh, hopefully a little bit of a positive impact on the climate. So folks are going to be receiving emails saying, you know, your important tax document is here. 
and also um, official mail. What should they be doing with these things when they get them? Yeah, right. How how to write, how to prepare for taxes, uh, e- being prepared. Um, and there's there's quite a bit right that you get flooded with at the at this time of year with everything from your W two to ten ninety nines from investment or retirement accounts. Um, you know, maybe you have a bank account now actually earning some legit interest. And so you're getting another 1099 for that. Uh, surely if you have a mortgage, you're getting a mortgage interest statement. So you're just getting all this stuff and some of it's coming in the mail. Some of it's coming electronically. Um, the f- biggest thing I think is to, to just make yourself sort of keep these records in a consistent place is just get yourself a folder on your computer, on your phone. You know, nowadays you can do have your iCloud or your Google drive um, and just stash everything you get there. Take a picture of it, right? It doesn't need to be right. You just need a record of something. You don't need this official perfect scan. You can take a picture of a document. If you get it emailed then it's just a file, you can put it in that folder. But really as you're getting these things, just like you would, you know, back when everything was coming in the, in the, snail mail and you were just getting paper for everything, you'd throw it all in a file or a shoebox, same thing, right? Just we're just modernizing that approach of just put everything in the same place and and in the same format. Right. And I really think nowadays just keep it all digital. It takes less space than uh than, you know, or no more space, right, than your device that you're that you're already using. So that's the first thing. It's just be consistent with where this data is actually going so that you're ready with it. I like that you included that people don't need to have super high quality images of all of their tax documents. Um, as long as it's readable, that's really all that people should be looking for, right? Yes. The, the, uh, the IRS under audit is not going to care if your uh, scans or photos are at, you know, three or 600, you know, dots per inch or whatever, whatever sort of, you know, high quality. It just needs to be something that's legible essentially and, and a good record of whatever income or expense, uh, is involved. And people might be noticing like, Hey, I'm getting a lot more tax documents that I've gotten in the past, or I'm getting quite a few fewer. Um, how can they use that to decide whether to do their taxes on their own or to work with a professional? Or does that even matter so much? Uh, I mean, it does matter, right? I mean, you know, a couple of W2s and you're a renter and there isn't much right else going on with your tax circumstance. It should be pretty straightforward to get that tax return completed. Now, there may be, there always could be opportunities or potential, you know, sort of, uh, dangers with, uh, with filing on your own. Maybe there's a, something you missed. Maybe you made a purchase that qualified for a certain credit and you just weren't aware of it. And so that's where either one, like something beyond like a free file, right? So free file will just have you take your, W-2, it'll enter all the info and say, okay, here's your tax return. Do you want to file it, right? Then you step up to some of the tax softwares that are out there. H&R Block has it, TurboTax have it. I can go on and on. I'm not, you know, plugging any one of them, believe me, but, um, you know, they're, they're out there. It's, it's, they're very well known. Um, and that might start to give you some insight into some potential opportunities and, and things to avoid, but that's also extremely time consuming, right? I mean, you're going to end up right going through TurboTax and you're going to sit there for a while answering questions that may or may not apply to you. And, um, you know, oftentimes you see it, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate. And I've seen plenty of times where maybe the questions weren't answered exactly as they were intended and it ended up with an, with something that, you know, kind of made something worse. Right. So, um, 
it, it, it's it's hard to say, you know, in a blanket statement, whether or not the number of documents or the types of documents that you're getting should determine how you should approach preparing your taxes, whether you should use a pro or software or just free file. Um, but generally, the less stuff you're getting, the less complication you have going on in your your tax and financial life, it's more likely that you don't need uh, a professional preparation or you don't even need a, a software, frankly. And then there's always the people who just want the peace of mind of knowing that someone who has their finger on the pulse of taxes year round is doing it for them. So they know it's being done properly. And then also they don't have to do it themselves. Yeah. I mean, well, right here, here I can, I can plug, plug what we do even, right? I mean, as far as preparing the tax return is, is really the culmination of just implementing strategy and carrying kind of that strategy implementation end to end. Right. So even if the client only has a W2 or 1098 and a couple of things here and there, we may have, you know, created or, or implemented a strategy that requires some professional tax, you know, involvement. Um, and then even beyond that, right. This year we're introducing, uh, tax account monitoring. So we'll be able to more closely follow our clients, you know, tax accounts, uh, after the return is filed. And that's huge when the IRS has been so right, as we've talked about, so tardy with, uh, with stuff as far as processing returns, getting notices out, responding to notices. So having, you know, kind of a proactive approach to your tax account, that really helps as well. Right. And that's all again, a part of the, you know, professional preparation process. We go a little bit further than most, but yeah, I mean, it's a big part of, um, you know, what, what makes it valuable for sure. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into some of the different tax planning opportunities for different generations in a minute here. Um, but I want to ask you the big question now, Jason, is a refund a bad thing? <laughs> uh, well, like all answers in, uh, tax and, uh, financial planning, it depends. Um, but generally, right, what a refund represents is an interest free loan to the government, right? Uh, if you file your tax return, um, on time and you get your money back, right? They're not going to add any interest to that. They're just going to simply say, here you go. Here's, you know, the excess that you paid in and having paid in, you know, substantially more than you actually owe. All you did was just loan them that money, right? Them being the government, whether that's, you know, the federal government or a, a state government. Um, so, is that bad? I don't know. Sometimes it helps with habits, right? Sometimes it forces you to save money and here's the refund that is this kind of, you know, forced savings. Other times, yeah, you've potentially taken what could have been productive money throughout the year, something that could have went into a, a you know, long-term or even a short-term saving uh, goal and it's, you know, it hasn't done anything for you for the entire year. It sat there and earned nothing. And you can look at it at the down market last year and say, well, if you would put that in, you know, investments, you could have lost some money. So it definitely depends. Um, but that also totally. raises a good question about, um, having a balance due. If you have to pay in, um, when is that a bad thing? Well, so <laughs> nowadays, right? I, I hear more and more from clients and even, you know, think about this myself is like, I'd rather just. Oh, at this point, because of the way the processing has been, it's, it's kind of, so in some ways risky to be counting on a refund to come back out, right? I mean, it's one little hang up, one sort of thing on your return that needs a human to just go in and like check a box and push your return through that could hold your, you know, the processing up for weeks or months. Um, so paying in, there's nothing wrong with that, especially, right? Especially if you don't owe any sort of additional interest or penalties. Now, like you said, when does it become a bad thing? Um, it becomes a bad thing when you do owe interest and penalties. And there's um, a pretty straightforward way to kind of determine 
whether or not you will owe, you know, what they call an estimated tax penalty. And that's just simply if you uh, have not paid in through the year, you haven't paid in a hundred percent of your tax from the prior year, or if you're a high earner, 110% of that tax, or at least 90% of your current year tax. So if you don't meet one of those two sort of uh, uh, payment amounts during the year, it's it's very likely that when that tax bill comes, it's going to be a little bit higher than your actual tax because you are going to have uh, a penalty associated with it. And I feel like that's one of the situations when it might be a good idea to work with someone who can help you kind of throughout the year to make sure that you're making those payments in the correct amounts. You can avoid interest and penalties. Yeah. I mean, one of the parts of our tax planning process, for example, whether it's in May or in November, when we're uh, taking a look at, you know, what potential strategies exist, you know, a little bit more forward looking in May, obviously, because you have a little more runway, not only for the year that you're thinking about, but also into the future, of course, but then also even in November identifying, yeah, are you going to be short uh, with your tax payments and what can you do to mitigate the effect of that? Whether it's adjusting your withholdings, whether it's making an estimated payment, um, there's a lot of ways to address it. Even just preparing for it, knowing and accepting it and just knowing that it's going to be there is a, is an effective strategy because getting a tax bomb with a penalty uh, come April 15th, right, is not very fun at all. That can definitely hurt. So um, let's move into kind of our general generational breakdown here and talk about the different planning opportunities and just, you know, interesting tax topics for, for each set of folks here. Um, so sure. something that I like to, uh, think about for baby boomers that I find super interesting is that, um, some might not have to prepare taxes for the first time since before they, you know, got their first job. Um, why is that? Why should, why would some people not have to prepare taxes? True. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and it's also right typically going to be this this sort of step down, almost immediate step down from some of your highest earning and highest tax years into some of your lowest potentially. Um, there is a, a pretty straightforward scenario where a, a baby boomer goes on social security. That is the primary source of income. Um, maybe there's some passive income from like a, a dividend or a capital gain, or maybe there's just some cash that that person is holding on to, And there isn't really much any or any other income earned by that person. And if social security is the only thing, uh, that you have a sort of, a uh, an income from, you don't have to file a tax return. Right. And so, you know, there's typically going to be a reason why you'd want to file that return. Maybe you made, you know, some withholding on that social security, or maybe there's some other, um, you know, like I said, passive income that's going to, you know, potentially lead you to filing a return. But I mean, it, it's, it's often that if you're filing, it's still going to be an extremely, extremely low tax scenario in, in a lot of cases. And it's just, just because you might have that kind of first bit of uh, resources that you're using, you know, to supplement that social security may be already tax money. And so you don't have a lot of tax liability uh, in that phase. Yeah, that's where the sequence of distributions really comes in handy, especially if you're looking at some lower tax years just after the big R retirement. <laughs> that That's right. But, but what's interesting here is sequence of returns. You mentioned this of like our sequence of returns, sequence of distributions, I should say, and, and what you're sort of um, going to gonna take out of your accounts, you know, and how, where you're going to actually source those dollars from. There is going to become a point in time. Now, this was recently changed with the, the Secure 2.0 Act. They updated the the ages for this. But at some point in the future, you're going to be forced to take money out of tax-deferred accounts, typically an IRA or 401k. Um, and that's usually where that sort of honeymoon of a very low tax period uh, will end. 
right? And so during that, that low tax period and that low income period, that's where you start to get creative from a tax planning standpoint with looking at things like Roth conversions and just sort of going up to maybe you can, you know, cap yourself out at, you know, maxing out the 12% bracket and get a, get a quite a bit of uh, dollars, right? Just kind of locked in at that 12% rate and move those into a tax-free account that you aren't required, like a Roth IRA that you are not required to distribute as you get older. So I heard a little jargon there, Jason, Roth conversion, and you kind of described it, but just to be super clear, could you give us just a a really quick idea of what that is and how they would fill up that 12% bracket, like you said? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Roth conversion um, is a type of rollover, actually. And here's another jargon term, but a rollover is just a movement from one qualified account type, like a 401k or an IRA or a Roth IRA into another. And so a Roth conversion is the movement of uh, money out of a pre-tax account like an IRA or a 401k into a Roth type account, which is eventually a tax-free account. When you do that rollover, you're going to pay tax on the distribution out of the pre-tax account. And so what you would look at to maybe max out your 12% bracket is what is the very top of that bracket for you as the taxpayer and just take that much as your Roth conversion amount and move that into the Roth IRA. Then you've, of course, locked in that tax rate on that. And once it's in the Roth IRA, you will have tax-free access to that in time. Now, there's a couple of rules involved with that, right? You have to wait five years before you're actually getting into um, that conversion money. But in the long run, assuming that you have sources of, of other you know, supplemental income, this is a way to prolong your assets because if they're never taxed again, they're going to be that much more useful for you in the long run. Thank you. And you also uh, avoided some jargon earlier. I think you were talking about RMDs, the required minimum distributions. Do you want to go into that? What, what, when you're forced to take, when they're forcing you to take money out? Yeah. So that's, that's exactly right. It's an RMD, a required minimum distribution. Um, years ago, before any of this secure act sort of stuff happened, right? You used to have to take money out at 70 and a half, this awkward, uh, uh, half year sort of thing that you haven't looked at in, in, since you were like five years old. Um, I'm five and a half. I'm 70 and a half. Well, at 70 and a half, you have to take these distributions, right? Well, then the secure act came along in 2019 and that changed, uh, beginning in 2020 to age 72 that you started to uh, need to take these distributions and then secure 2.0 act, which is the one that just passed here at the end of December of 2022, moved that age back to 73. And then for, uh, 10 years down the road, that age is actually going to get increased to 75. So now you have this sort of longer period of time that you can hold money in these pre-tax accounts, but that's what a required minimum distribution is. It's forcing dollars out of uh, a pre-tax account. And frankly, just so that the uh, IRS or so, so that, you know, the, the government can tax some of that money at some point in the time because you haven't paid tax on it ever before. So what are some things that you're going to be looking out for as you are working with baby boomers to help them file their taxes this year? Uh, Well, if they have RMDs, did they make them, right? If they did distribute money from their IRA, was some of that maybe distributed to charity? One of the other uh, other opportunities when you're at, you know at that age and in your 70s also is that you can make what are called qualified charitable distributions from an IRA, which is effectively a tax-free distribution from it as long as it's going to a charity. So we want to make sure, right, because there's nowhere else that that's reported. So that's one of the things that I always like to ask when I see a 1099 uh, from someone that's over 70 and a half, hey, did any of this money go directly to a charity? And that's the only way to find out if that actually happened, right? 
Um, other things is just along the opportunity side. If you get it, go through and complete a tax return and notice that, hey, there's a lot of room still under that 12% bracket. Start to talk about what's going to happen in the current year. And does that represent an opportunity to do some tax planning for the current year to do some Roth conversion so that you can max out that bracket and lock in that really low tax rate? Those are going to be the bigger things that we'll look at with baby boomers. Yeah. And then if people are charitably inclined and over age 70 and a half, there's that awkward half again, um, maybe plan in some distributions to charities so that they can uh, work a little bit with their philanthropic side. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the big key there is just make sure however it's done that that dollar or those dollars, I should say, that, that come out of your IRA are going directly through to the charity. If you take possession of that money, it's no longer a qualified charitable distribution. You just have a regular old distribution. Sure, you have a potentially deductible charitable contribution, but if you're not itemizing your deductions, it's not going to matter. Right. And of course, there's making sure that that charity is actually a qualified charity um, in the eyes of the IRS. Yeah, you can you can check with the IRS for 501c3 eligible charities. Make sure that, you know, if you're uh have someone asking for donations that they are legit and they will you will be able to get a tax deduction for making that contribution. So moving on to Gen X, um sure we have some new things for baby boomers maybe coming up in the future, but what's new for our Gen Xers this year? Let's see. Here's just every year, right? The Gen X faces, I feel like, especially right as you're um, in your higher earning years, you're starting to look look forward to retirement, but you're also earning a lot of money now. It's simply like, how can you take advantage of, um, you know, some of your, uh, or I guess the opportunity that these higher earning years represent. And so, Secure 2.0 changed, you know, some of the employer sponsored retirement plan contribution limits, contribution types. There's a lot more available in the form of these, uh, uh Roth contributions now. So a lot of stuff where it's like you're going to look at the, the cost to kind of benefit analysis, right? You're going to try to figure out whether it makes sense to do a pre-tax, uh, contribution to a retirement plan or whether it makes more sense to do a Roth contribution. You can even elect now to have your employer make Roth contributions on your behalf with that match instead of it always being pre-tax like it has been in the past. Um, higher earners will have different limitations now as far as how much pre-tax money they can put in and how much they may have to contribute as the Roth contribution. And they're kind of forced to do that. So um, Secure, Secure 2.0 did change that landscape as far as those retirement saving plan contributions. Um, and that's going to be a big one, right? For generation X. And again, in those higher earning years, uh, as you're starting to wind down the road towards retirement and towards the, um, again, that the sort of honeymoon of, of low tax rates, you're going to see some of these decisions start to crop up a little bit more and more. And then some of our older Gen Xers have the opportunity to make what's, what are called catch up contributions. Can you talk a little bit about what those are and why they're available to people aged 50 or 50, 55 and older? Yeah. So, right. I mean, as the name sort of implies, you're, you're supposed to be catching up, right? I suppose maybe you didn't do enough saving in the, in the past when you were younger and now you need to, you know, get as much as you can as quickly as you can into your retirement savings account. So you have that nest egg built up, uh, and catch up contributions allow you to do that. So for example, in 2023, uh, in a qualified retirement plan, uh, employer sponsored, I should say qualified retirement plan, you can contribute an additional $7,500 to that plan as someone that's 50 or older. Um, and your HSA, if you're 55 and older, you can add an additional thousand dollars, right? To that plan. And so the ability to make those additional contributions and kind of top off that retirement plan 
Yeah, I mean, or or health savings account, I should say, is just giving you that opportunity to catch up, even if you don't need to, right? If you're able to, and you, sh- you know, if you're in a higher earning year, you probably have more coming in than you actually need, right? Stash it, right? And stash it in a tax effective place, like some of these plans. That's great. And that's wonderful for 2023. Um, but as you're preparing taxes for our Gen Xers for the tax year of 2022, um, what are you going to be looking out for? Do you see more of these folks um, itemizing their deductions, for example? Uh, it depends, right? Like uh, uh, things that hit, right? Here's the, it depends again. Um, so a couple of things. One, with the itemized deduction side, right? I mean, maybe as you are, you know, at Gen X, especially some of the older Gen X, maybe you've gotten close to paying off your mortgage or maybe it's just a lower balance or you were able to take advantage of a really good refinance rate. And so your interest, right, your interest cost may be pretty low, which is one of those itemized deductions. Uh, we have limitations, right, and have for several years since the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 went into effect where we have this cap on state and local tax deduction, right? So you have this $10,000 cap. So I've seen plenty of Gen Xers high earning that, have to just take the standard deduction. And that's not a bad thing, right? Taking a standard deduction means that you get a larger deduction than you actually had outflows on in theory, assuming your, your salt limitation doesn't come into play there. So it's not, it's not that bad, but yeah, like there may not be an itemized deduction opportunity for some. The other thing is like you, you, I think alluded to, if you're going to look back and one of the kind of the a few sort of after the fact tax planning opportunities that exists is the ability to make sort of these retirement plan like IRA and, and HSA contributions after the fact and up to tax day. And so if you had a 2022 contribution that you missed, you still have a couple months, right? Until tax, the tax deadline to actually make that contribution. Yeah. See if you can save a few more tax dollars as we get up to the deadline here. Jumping into millennials, because I've heard in the news a lot lately that more millennials are now becoming home buyers, even though the uh, interest rates are a little high because prices are starting to drop. Um, What does that mean for them and their taxes this year? Well, the the prices are still high, right? They're coming down. But yeah, housing is still right uh, an expensive proposition. And yeah, with interest rates going up, it makes the entire thing uh, more expensive. Um, you know, that starts to sneak you into, right, that space where you may be able to itemize deductions and, and, um, you know, if you, if you still find home ownership being the goal that you want to, uh, pursue and you end up with a loan with a, with a higher interest rate than you would have a couple of years ago, yeah, your interest costs are probably going to be up there as well. And that's going to lead to potentially sort of this, a new territory of itemizing, right? Itemizing your deductions rather than taking a standard deduction, which could lower your tax bill. I mean, ultimately, right? If you end up with more uh, itemized deductions than standard deductions, that's a dollar for dollar reduction of your taxable income. And when you reduce your taxable income, you end up reducing ultimately your tax bill. So it could be good news. At least it's sort of the lemonade from uh, uh, those lemons of higher interest rates. And of course, similar to Gen X, our millennials um, hopefully are moving into some of their higher earning years, you know, getting a little bit higher salary each year and able to stash a little bit more into their employer-sponsored retirement funds. Um, but what other planning opportunities are there for millennials in 2023 specifically? Yeah, I mean, well, it also depends a lot on how you're earning your income, right? Millennials uh, tend to have, you know, more of there's there's some side hustles available. I tend to see more equity comp sort of situations happening. And so there's just... Stuff that exists on a uh, younger taxpayer's return that you know gives not only opportunity but then also the potential for some some uh, I don't want to say mistakes but some issues to to arise. So just being 
really careful to make sure you're tracking. If you do have a side hustle, for example, you're going to have to report that on potentially a Schedule C, which is uh, the tax form that a sole proprietor reports their uh, income and expenses on, right? Sole proprietor just being a self-employed person. So even if you have a W-2 job, you have a side hustle, maybe you're um, driving an Uber, maybe you're uh, selling stuff on Poshmark, whatever it is, like that's that's a business in the eyes of the IRS. So you want to make sure that you're reporting that correctly. And there's some potential opportunities there, right? Business expenses are deductible, for example. So don't avoid it simply because you think it's going to create a tax bill. What you could end up with is having a wash or maybe even a potentially a deductible loss in some situations. Yeah. And that brings up another really cool strategy for uh, self-employed folks, and that's individual retirement savings. Can you tell us a little bit about what those self-employed individuals might be able to do as far as stashing some extra dollars away for their futures? Yeah. Self-employed individuals, they, they have it, they have it good with retirement savings plans. And I'm thinking more of the sort of sustainably self-employed, not just side hustle, but this is actually what you're doing for your primary earning. Um, if you're, you know, earning a good living as a self-employed person, really look at a solo 401k plan as an option. It allows you to do that, that 401k sort of contribution thing. So for 2022, you have a, a limit of $20,500 that you can contribute as an employee, your own employee. You're also able to make your employer contributions as well. And then if you structure your plan appropriately as a solo 401k and the only participant in that plan, it's really easy to add um, what are called voluntary after-tax contributions as a, as a type of contribution type to that plan, which steps you up into a whole other level of savings opportunity and the ability to convert those contributions into Roth balance. So it's not it's not all that unusual to see a self-employed person able to put north of $60,000 into one of these plans on an annual basis most of it being Roth balance at the end of the year so it's it's pretty incredible yeah that's huge that's a massive amount yeah um so for folks who are hitting those really high earning years and have the ability to stash that aside that's really going to boost up the retirement coffers or financial independence coffers and and in a tax-free way which is which is <laughs> Very, very cool. Absolutely. So Jason, let's move into Gen Z here. These folks might be preparing their taxes for the first time ever. Um, maybe mom and dad did it for them in the past with their tax preparer as part of kind of a family arrangement, or maybe they have income for the first time after graduating college or high school and really moving into the workforce. What should they know about tax preparation and what should they be doing this year? Yeah. I mean, for first time, right? First time for everything, I suppose. And, and you're going to have to, right? It's something you have to get done. And it, you may find yourself, right, if you're in Gen Z, that you don't have a ton going on, again, with your tax return, but you still need to get one filed. And so maybe you have a, a W-2. Uh, maybe you have a 1099 because you earn some interest with your savings at the bank. And so you might want to, you know, give it a shot. Try, try one of the free file applications and see if you can kind of push through and, and get that done. If something just isn't clear, if something seems amiss, right? And, and I know, right? This is sort of the scary co concept of I got to get my taxes filed and I've never ever done it before. You know, maybe it's worth it to go work with a professional for one year just to make sure you kind of get the lay of the land. You understand what's required to go in with that return and then maybe take it over in the following year. As long as it doesn't seem too overwhelming, as long as your situation seems straightforward enough, at least while it is, yeah, you could probably kind of take the reins from there, but give yourself that opportunity to learn from a pro in, in one year and then move on to that in the next. I remember when I did my taxes for the first time, I was actually scared. It was one of those big adult things that 
I just wasn't quite ready for. So how can you put folks' mind at ease if they're going into this as first timers? Yeah, I mean it's like a it's a sweaty <laughs> Sweaty scared. It's like, oh, uh, you know, I, 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 if I do this wrong, am I going to wind up in jail? Like what's going to happen? Well, so, so that's it, right? Is one of the things here to keep in mind is if you make a goof and you don't want to, but if you do, it is not going to be people with guns coming to your door, ready to arrest you sort of thing. You may make an honest mistake and that can happen from time to time. And just know that there are ways to resolve that. So don't be that fearful of the the big mistake that puts you in a jail cell right obviously if you're making you know uh, uh these kind of willful uh, you know negligent and or you know sort of intentional uh misstatements of facts on your tax return that could cause some big problems but right just take it one step at a time there's there's usually a way to figure out how to get it done right whether that is through like a free file service or an app right uh, or whether that's working with a pro for a year or two it's it's going to be okay you just need to make sure that again, you've collected all the right info that you're holding on to all of those W-2s and statements and that you're uh, maintaining those records and you'll be fine. I know it can be really tempting when you're going through some of those softwares to, you know, plug in a different number and see how it could change your result. But even mind that you really want to base everything on the actual documentation that you have. So if there ever was a question from the IRS that you can support that with the truth. Yeah, no, nothing better than the truth at the end of the day. And and a question comes up a lot for me as far as like, well, what do I need to do to be able to claim this? And how can I do that? And I think sometimes the they, the person asking that question wants there to be some sort of secret sauce to just if well, if you if you just jump through this hoop and pull this string, all of a sudden you're going to end up with this magic deduction. Uh, the reality is the facts and circumstances will typically dictate what's going to happen there. Just have good records, right? Keep track of the right things and make sure that you're able to, here's a, here's that big kind of jargony word, substantiate the positions you've taken on your tax returns. Just simply means have some proof to be able to show that this is, this is the truth essentially. And if you're looking to make some big tax moves, start early, start planning now, start preparing for, you know, next year this time, what your taxes could look like. Yeah. And frankly, this is, again, another plug. Work with a pro who can help you figure out which sort of tax moves you may be able to make. And that doesn't matter what generation you're in. If you have the planning opportunities available, don't let those go wasted. Don't wonder about what you could have done. Talk with someone, consult with someone to see what's available for you. Well, with that said, Jason, let's move on to today's takeaways. And why don't you take it away? Yeah, well, so tax season is here and you should be receiving, right, both probably both physical and digital tax documents. So if you haven't already, make sure to keep them organized. I recommend a digital folder, either an iCloud, Google Drive, you name it, whatever you're most comfortable with, but just keep everything in one place, easy to access, not a big footprint, not something that can get lost very easily. And get your 2022 contributions in. Tax day is the deadline for IRA and HSA contributions, so it's not too late to contribute for 2022 if you haven't already. And finally, start planning your 2023 taxes now, right? It's never too early to start looking at the current year. So make sure that you're looking at both your 2023 tax outcomes and potential contributions and planning strategies so that you're able to get ahead of the curve uh, for the current tax year. And of course, if you have ideas for a future podcast episode, or if you want to share feedback on what we've said today, uh, reach out to us. You can get us at podcast at fpfoco.com. That'll also be in the show notes. So yeah, join us next time on Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. Until next time, happy tax season. 
and we'll talk to you soon. Jason Spessner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice. 